Well, good morning. Before we get started, we will, well, as the children are dismissing, uh, we've got a few announcements. We've got a lot of stuff going on right now. First thing, really quickly, if you are a nursery children's ministry worker, Shelby's got your t-shirts. Uh, she'll be in the back, uh, so you want to make sure you see her before you leave today. Uh, this week, we, are, uh, we have the privilege to help out with the soccer banquet at Sulphur High School. Uh, a lot of y'all know Dee Dee is the, the girls' coach, and so we've, we've, we've been asked and to help out, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, Thursday, what we're going to do is we're going to be doing uh, jambalaya dinner for them, and we're going to serve them. So Tuesday of this week, there's a cutting party at the cases, because there's a lot of stuff that we have to cut up, vegetables and meat and all that, to get ready for the jambalaya. We're going to do that Tuesday at the cases at 6 o'clock. If you want to help out, please come bring a knife, bring a cutting board. And we're just going to be cutting up stuff in the kitchen. Thursday is the actual banquet. And we really do need people to help serve at this banquet. That banquet starts at 6.30. Uh, it's going to be at the freshman high school in the cafeteria at the ninth grade campus. So if you would be able to help out that evening, please let Miss Wendy know. Because we're trying to make sure we have the ability to serve everyone at this banquet. Uh, Miss Wendy and Amber are also selling shirts for SC3 t-shirts. I know you've seen what looks like leftovers uh, from a restaurant, little pizza boxes. Uh, that's the way the shirts come packaged. Uh, and I know we've got, I know, I'm not going to ask them to stand up, but Kendrick's wearing one. Uh, so if you want to look at one, see what one looks like, we've got one on Kendrick. He can model it for you, or you can go to the back and we can actually pull one out the box for you. Uh, those are $20 for adult t-shirts, $15 for children, youth, infants. And that's a fundraiser to support SE3 which is throwing a conference, putting on a conference this weekend. I know we've talked a lot about that, the Merge Conference. This is our second conference that we're putting on. Uh, and I would just highly encourage you. I know we've been giving you information about this, but for what we do in our church body, we have a, a great opportunity to learn from other people from the state of Louisiana and how they are empowering their communities and how they're establishing community development uh, so we really would encourage you. It's, it's only $25. It's half a day. The registration starts. If you haven't pre-registered, it'll start at 7.30, and we're going to go until 1.30. Lunch provided, $25. Pretty good deal. And uh, it's just one of those, as, as your pastor, I think it's a great thing if you'd be able to go. So if you're on the fence, just go. Go with that option. Uh, and we would ask that you would pre-register if, if possible. You can go on Facebook, you can look up Merge Conference, and they'll have information for how to pre-register. We ask that so that we know how many are coming for lunch. We're trying to get a head count ahead of time. We know some people are going to come pre-register the morning of, but as many that can pre-register as possible, that'll help us determine how much lunch we have to get. Last thing, because I don't want to bore you with more announcements and just give you a bunch of list of things to do, I want to get into the Word, is uh, new members. Uh, we have our new members course coming up in April. So if you are interested in what Sulphur Community Church believes, why we're here, why we exist, this is what that's for. We will do that in the month of April, Sunday mornings at nine o'clock before the service. So if you're interested in that, not only in pursuing membership, it is a required class if you're going to become a member of our church. But if you just want to get information about us, consider, hey, what, how might I fit into this church? If this is something I'm going to consider, we would ask that you would come to that because that's, that's where we do that. You'll get to know the history of Sulphur Community Church. Why are we in the school? Uh, why do 
we believe the things that we believe, and we'll walk through Scripture together. So I want to put that out there for you as well. So please open up your Bibles to John chapter 10. We have been in John for several, several months now, and we are in the 10th chapter this morning. Our passage today is one of the hallmark chapters of this gospel. And I can assure you that we would exhaust ourselves before we exhaust the depth of truth that's in this passage. This is one that's it's fun to preach and it's fun to teach, it's fun to study, because there's so much here. In the time that we have, try to keep it to about 40 minutes, 45 minutes this morning. I'm really going to pull what I felt this week was most applicable. I want to give you the interpretation of Scripture and then let's say, okay, how can we as a church apply this? So, John chapter 10. I want you to think about this as we get into this passage. When we look at the period of time when Scripture was written and in the places that it was written, agriculture was a large part of their way of life. Religion was centered around this. The economy was centered around farming. When you think about the the sacrifices that were required, a lot of us, we've been, this morning I caught up, I was a little bit behind, but I caught up in Leviticus. And what do you see in Leviticus? This kind of sacrifice. You You have to kill this animal, you have to sprinkle this blood around the altar, and you have to it's all of these sacrifices that have to be made. Well, in order to make the sacrifices, you have to have the animals to sacrifice, right? Agriculture was a big part of their life. So it's no surprise that when Jesus uses illustrations and parables to teach ideas about the kingdom of God and to reveal his identity as the eternal son of God, he's going to borrow from this agricultural theme because it's something that would be commonly known to his audience. In our passage today, he's going to do that. He's going to include a, an agricultural illustration about shepherding. He wants to communicate spiritual truths to the Pharisees. Being in South Louisiana, we aren't far removed from agriculture. We, we have a general understanding of that, but shepherding sheep might be a little foreign to us. During our Advent season this past year, Blake spent some time briefly explaining what shepherding was like. And so before we get into our text this morning, I want to recap that for us, make sure we have a a general understanding of what that is so that when we get into the text itself, we'll understand a little bit better the the depth of truth that's that's contained in Jesus' words. First thing we need to understand is that sheep are defenseless and helpless animals. They're not very intelligent, and they're dirty. They're always looking to stray away. They have no sense of direction and they need constant care, protection, and oversight. This makes the role of the shepherd very important because the shepherd is the one that's going to provide that constant care, that constant protection, that constant oversight. A good shepherd provides care daily sacrifices of himself. The shepherd's day is consumed with looking out for the sheep. That's what he does all day long. He goes ahead of the sheep as they travel the the rocky terrain of the mountainside to make sure that there's no danger ahead, whether it be the edge of a cliff or whether it be a predator or a thief. The shepherd does whatever he can to protect the sheep 
because they're defenseless and because he cares for them. They are his own. And since he spends most of his life with these animals, he knows them very well and they know him. At night, once the shepherd's day is done, he brings his sheep to what's called a fold, a sheep fold. And what he does is he brings it in. There's a, there's a hired hand, an under-shepherd, who's going to watch these sheep at night so that the shepherd can go rest because he's got a long day ahead of him tomorrow. He's got to do the same thing. And so he brings his sheep. They walk through the gate. There is one gate into this pen, fenced-in area, and he leads his sheep in. He walks out. They close the gate. And then this hired hand is the one that's going to watch the sheep by night. Now understand, in this fold, there's not just one shepherd's sheep. There's a bunch of shepherds who bring their sheep here. And so what you've got in this pen at night is a bunch of different people's sheep all in this pen. They're eating, they're grazing, they're making noises, they're sleeping, whatever they're doing. It's a, just a mix of a bunch of shepherd's sheep. Well, after the, sheep, the shepherd has rested, when he comes back the next morning, that gatekeeper, that under-shepherd, knows that this man is a shepherd, and so he allows him to go into the pen. And that shepherd calls out for his sheep. And despite the fact that there are a bunch of sheep out here, a bunch of different people's sheep, only his respond, and they come to him because they know his voice. He spends all day with them. That is the general foundation for shepherding that you need to know as we get into this illustration this morning. Some of you are already trying to think ahead, and you, you're familiar with this passage. You're like, oh, man, I see, the, I see the correlation already. I see how Jesus is the shepherd and all this stuff. Well, let's take our time and study this passage because in here, he's going to use this illustration of shepherding to declare himself as the true shepherd, the door to abundant life, and the good shepherd who has authority over life and death. So getting into the illustration where he reveals himself as the true shepherd in John 10 verses 1 through 6. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. When we pick up here in verse 1, I feel like I should point out this is a continuation of a conversation that Jesus was having with the Pharisees in chapter 9. Sometimes we, when we look at the chapter breakdown, we think that this is like a new day, but this is a continuation from where we left off last week where Jesus has just revealed to the Pharisees that they are spiritually blind and that they need spiritual healing so that they can see things that are spiritual. He's continuing on addressing them. And here in chapter 10, what we're going to see this morning, last week we saw that he said, hey, you're spiritually blind. This week he's going to say you're also spiritually deaf. And while spiritual deafness as, as part of the natural state of man is something that we could take away from this study, 
the main point Jesus is trying to communicate is that he is the true shepherd in contrast to the Pharisees who are false shepherds. He is trying to point out to them that they are false shepherds. Jesus says, truly, truly, which, as you know, tells you, hey, I need to pay attention to this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Jesus will go on to say in verse 7 that he is the door, the door through which a shepherd would enter. Here, Jesus is condemning the Pharisees as false shepherds, shepherds that climb into the fold a different way because they refuse to enter through him, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. When you think about what the under-shepherd, the one who is watching the sheep at night, one of the, some of the challenges he would have is that at night you can't really see. I mean, you know, we, we live and we got the, the sit-go refinery glow, right? We've got the glow of all the refineries around us that light up our night. But they're out in the country. There's nothing like that out there, so it's dark. The only light is the moon and the stars. And one of the challenges that that under-shepherd would have is protecting those sheep from people trying to get in. They're not going to be so bold as to walk to the door. He's not going to let them in because they're not true shepherds. So what a thief would do is they would climb the fence. They would climb in, and then they would steal the sheep. What they would do is slit the throat of the sheep, throw them over, climb back out, and then they would either run off with the sheep right there, or they would cut off the wool, they would cut the meat, and then they would take off. Jesus later refers to these men as those who come to steal, kill, and destroy, and that is exactly what a thief would do. They would, they would steal the sheep, they would kill the sheep, and they would destroy it, they would fleece it, cut all of its meat off. In this illustration, this fold, this pin, is Israel. We know that because later on he's going to say that there's, there are sheep of another fold that he must take with us, and that's, that's the Gentiles, and we'll get there. But this illustration, the fold is Israel, and the thieves and robbers are the very men that Jesus is addressing, the Pharisees. They enter in the fold anyway, but through Jesus. And what do they do when they get in that fold? They spiritually fleece the sheep. They exploit the people of God for their own gain. Now these men were warned throughout Scripture that judgment was coming for the false shepherds. When we look in Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 2, the prophet speaks on behalf of the Lord and says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. That's pretty serious. God says, hey, you were supposed to care for my sheep. You were supposed to tend to them, and you have not done so, and as a result, they are scattered over the whole world. I'm going to tend to you. This is Almighty God speaking. One of the clearest warnings to these false shepherds, and one of the clearest contrasts between these men and Christ 
likely comes from Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 through 10. I want you to follow along with me because this is more lengthy. But I want you to look for, first of all, the, the warning to the shepherds, and then look at the contrast. You'll see Jesus in this passage. Starting in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. You see there what's going on? God is pointing out to them that the very sheep that they were supposed to be caring for, they have exploited for their personal gain. They don't feed the sheep. They feed themselves. In fact, they kill the very sheep that they're supposed to be watching to feed themselves. Now here, look at Jesus. He says, the weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. Now, we've already seen in John's gospel that Jesus did a lot of these things, right? He would heal, he would heal the sick. He healed a blind man from birth. And what was the response of the Pharisees, the ones who were the shepherds of Israel? Condemnation. When these are the things that they were supposed to be doing, they were supposed to be strengthening the weak. They were supposed to be going after the lost. But they didn't. And so, continuing, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. And if you were to continue reading this prophecy, God goes on to say that he himself will go after them, that he will go after the lost, that he will go rescue his sheep. This points to Christ, the one, the good shepherd, the true shepherd, in contrast to these false shepherds. Christ said, he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You see, in this part of the illustration, Jesus is the true shepherd, the one who the gatekeeper allows to come in. He speaks here of salvation, and he describes himself as the shepherd 
calling out his sheep by name because he knows them. And in verse 4, he says that his sheep know him as they follow him because they recognize his voice. Verse 5 says the contrast to that, the opposite, they don't follow a stranger. In fact, they flee from the stranger because they don't know the stranger's voice. They want nothing to do with him. And when we consider this application for us in the church today, this is a scary thing. These were Pharisees. These were teachers of the law. These were men who were in position to lead Israel, God's people. And by every account, everyone looked to them for their leadership. And what Jesus is pointing out here is that they were not true shepherds. Christ is our true shepherd, and he has called men to serve in the role of under-shepherds. Leaders, pastors to his flock. But there are others who are false shepherds. Just as in the day of Jesus, who, who try to creep in unnoticed. Those of you who have been through Bible study methods, you'll recall Jude. Those who have crept in unnoticed, hidden reefs at your love feasts. These are people who look the part, but their hearts are evil. And they exploit the people of God for their personal gain. We are told in Scripture to test the word of all pastors. To discern whether or not they are true or false. The same author of our gospel in 1 John 4 said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and that every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So, we're the sheep. We're defenseless. We're prone to wander. And as sheep who are prone to wander, we should examine pastors and teachers to determine whether or not we should follow them. It's quite simple. We must ask the question, is that man leading me to Christ? Is he pointing me to Jesus Christ as the Son of God? Or is he leading me astray? Is he exploiting his flock for his own personal gain. Or let's consider what the true shepherd does. We're going to see that he sacrifices for his sheep, that he loves his sheep, he protects his sheep, he gives of himself every single day for his sheep. Is that what I see? The good news is, while this is a scary thing for us, we have been provided with the Holy Spirit that allows us to discern whether or not one is a true shepherd. We've been given the Spirit who reveals to us who our true shepherd is so that when we hear his voice, we know it. 
And when we hear a stranger's voice, something's not right. And we flee. We run away as fast as we can. I found this encouraging this week to know that I have a shepherd who protects me, one that has given me the ability to know him so that I might not go astray, that I might not follow one who would lead me astray. In verse 6, we see the, the spiritual deafness of the Pharisees clearly as John wrote that they didn't understand him. Jesus has just said, hey, I am the true shepherd, and when I call out my sheep, I call them by name, and they know me, so they follow me. And the Pharisees respond, wait, what? What are you talking about? My sheep hear my voice, and they know me. I don't know what you're talking about. They're not his sheep. They don't know him. This week, actually yesterday, I had one of my former uh, students in youth ministry from Baton Rouge. He texted me, hey, I'm going through John with the guy that's discipling me, and it's so cool to think about all the stuff that we went through. I've shared this with you before. We, we went through John with our youth group in Baton Rouge for over two years, and we went verse by verse just as we're doing as a church. And, you know, I do things for them that I don't really do for y'all. Like, you know, I talk about Jesus going beast mode in the temple. You know, obviously that wouldn't really help you probably. It's a little inappropriate, maybe. I refer to John the Baptist as JTB so that they might remember instead of John, the disciple, the author, they have JTB, John the Baptist. And it's so interesting that those small things help those kids remember. And he texted me and he was like, man, what are you talking about this week? And I said, we're in John 10, the good shepherd. And he said, man, they slapped him in the face, didn't they? Jesus slapped them in the face with the gospel. And I told him, I was like, yes, they did. Yes, he did. However, if not for the grace of God, we would be those Pharisees. We would be the ones who would be spiritually blind, spiritually deaf. So while it's easy for us to just hate the Pharisees because they're the ones that are always causing trouble, let us not forget the fact that our hearts are just like the Pharisees outside of the grace of God who gives us life, who gives us spiritual eyes to see, who gives us the ability to hear so that we would respond and that when our shepherd calls out, we might actually know him. And so Jesus, even though the Pharisees don't understand what he's saying, Jesus does not stop revealing truth to them. He continues to reveal himself as the door to abundant life. In verses 7 through 10, Jesus says again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This statement, I am the door, is the third of seven I am statements in John's gospel. We're going to see a fourth one coming up when he says, I am the good shepherd. We've already seen two. When he said, I am the bread of life, 
And then he also said, I am the light of the world. These are I am statements that Jesus used to communicate, to reveal his identity as the son of God so that anyone would believe in that would find eternal life. Here he says, I am the door. I'm the door of the sheepfold, the gate. I'm the entryway, in and out. The use of the definite article, the, when he says, I am the door, is intentional. What he's saying there, he is the only door. He is the only way in. And if anyone enters the fold by him, they will be saved. This is glorious truth revealed by Christ. As he reveals his identity once again, this is the purpose of John's gospel. As the promised Messiah, the Son of God, who brings salvation to any who enter through him. Then he says not only will they be saved, but they will have freedom and blessing. Look, he says, continuing with this sheep illustration, those of us who enter through him and believe in the, and trust in his work of salvation on the cross we will be given freedom to go in and out and find pasture. Now think about this. Sheep are defenseless, right? And there are constantly threats to sheep. And here, for those of us who enter the fold through Christ, through that door, we're given freedom to go in and out and graze wherever. Why is that? Well, we saw in chapter 8, right? We've been delivered from the the fear of death. We've been given freedom from that because we know we have eternal life. Here it's because we have a good shepherd. The shepherd protects us. He, He looks over us. And so those of us who are saved through his work, we have nothing to fear. And so we get to go in and out, graze upon the goodness of Christ as we see fit, not having to worry. This is in contrast to the thief who did not come to give life but came to steal, kill, and destroy. We've been given new life. And to top it off, he says life abundantly. He came so that we may have eternal, abundant life, enjoying the fullness of the joy, hope, and peace that he provides us with. And it's in abundance. That means it's, it's never-ending. We will never exhaust the life given to us by Christ. Won't do it. Eternal life never ends. The grace given to us by Christ is inexhaustible. We've seen that already, that we've been given grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, never-ending grace. The hope that Christ provides is infinitely strong enough to pierce through even the darkest of trials. That hope is never extinguished. The joy of Christ overcomes the saddest day because it knows no end. We've been given life and life in abundance. Now, after referring to himself as the door, Jesus gives that fourth I am statement where he says, I am the good shepherd in verses 11 through 16. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. In the description of himself as a good shepherd, Jesus gives us three characteristics of himself. First, he sacrifices for his sheep. Any good shepherd sacrificed for their sheep. They did it daily. Their entire life was consumed with sacrifice. But Jesus isn't just any good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. So he sacrificed in the greatest way possible by laying down his life for the sheep. So, Sulphur Community Church, this is your good shepherd. Jesus Christ, he laid down his life for us. He is worthy of our allegiance, of our worship. Secondly, he, he did this because he loves his sheep. In contrast to the hired hand who flees whenever danger comes, because it says he, he doesn't care for those sheep. Christ, the good shepherd, displays his love for the sheep in his knowledge of them and in his sacrifice. He says that he knows his sheep. Earlier he said that he knows his sheep by name. Out of all the sheep in the world, the good shepherd is able to spot his sheep. And he calls them out by name. So Sulphur Community Church, there's your good shepherd, Jesus Christ. He knows us. And he loves us. And what he says here is he loves us in the same way that the Father loves him and he loves the Father. That perfect unending love is the same love with which he loves his sheep. He is worthy and deserving then of our love in return. Lastly, he unites his sheep. He mentions us here, those sheep of another fold, the Gentiles. And like his sheep in Israel, we hear his voice and we know him. We follow him. We are his own. And then he tells the Pharisees that he will unite both flocks together as one, Jew and Gentile. One flock following one shepherd. In Christ, we are all united as one. We spent a lot of time in Ephesians talking about the unity that we have as a body and how although we are diverse, I mean, if we were to look at one another we could easily tell that we're a diverse group. We come from different backgrounds. Some of us like to fish and hunt. Some of us like to play golf. Some of us like to play video games. Some of us like to cook. Some of us like to watch TV. Some of us are artistic. Some of us are boring. But although we are diverse, we are united in Christ. One shepherd. And we are one flock. And that unity came at a great price. We go back to that sacrifice for the sheep. How he laid down his life. 
that accomplished that unity. And so there's our good shepherd, the one who unites us to one another. And we know that Satan fights to disrupt that unity daily. He's trying to creep in and break it up. Because when we're united as the body, the gospel is seen. Our God is made much of because you've got fragmented people who are coming together and making up the beautiful body of Christ. So this unity that he's given us is worth fighting for. Because the purposes of our good shepherd are worth fighting for. Now before we move on, I'd like to draw a few more applications from this part. I told you the the truths here for application are inexhaustible. I mean, we could go for a long, long time when we're talking about a good shepherd. We exist to make much of God in our neighborhoods and to the nations by reflecting Jesus Christ. One of the ways in which we can reflect Jesus Christ is to display these characteristics that we see in him. This week, as as an elder, as a pastor, as a shepherd, those words are synonymous, as a pastor of this church, I was faced with examining myself to determine whether or not I'm reflecting Christ. Am I leading you to Christ? Am I sacrificing on your behalf? Am I loving and caring? Am I providing constant oversight? Am I looking ahead? Am I going before you for your protection? Because that's what the good shepherd does. As a shepherd in my home, as one who's been given the privilege of serving God in my role as a husband, some of you are, are parents, some of you are teachers. I had to examine myself to determine whether or not I'm sacrificing and loving my wife and whether or not I'm fighting for unity in our marriage. As one who supervises employees at work, the same thing. I had to examine myself to determine whether or not I'm doing a good job being like Christ in that environment, caring for, protecting my employees. As the redeemed of Christ, every one of us should strive to be Christ in a world that does not know him. And when we sacrifice, when we love, when we pursue unity, the world will be able to see a good shepherd. And we must pray that the Holy Spirit would allow them to see the good shepherd, that they would be able to hear the good shepherd's voice when he calls and so that they would follow. We must strive to present as clear a picture of the good shepherd as possible so that when he calls out, that voice would sound so familiar that they would follow because they know him. I've seen that. I've seen that in that individual. I've seen this hope, this joy, this love, this peace. In verses 17 and 18, Jesus concludes this discussion with the Pharisees as he points us to his coming death and resurrection, and he's going to start doing that more and more as that time comes. He's going to prepare his disciples in John's gospel and tell them, look, I'm going to go to a place that you can't follow me. He says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay my life. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. 
No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Do you see the humility and authority of Christ expressed there? I remember the first time I discovered the profoundness of that statement. It was not in studying scripture, but it was in the lyrics of a song by Shane and Shane. It was on their Christmas album, and the song was called Born to Die. And I was struck by the combination of the humility and authority of Christ. The lyrics go, you don't take my life. You don't take my life. You don't take my life. But I lay it down. See, he has authority to prevent anyone from taking his own life. This is the powerful son of God. And at the same time, he was humble. You don't take my life. I lay it down. That's the good shepherd. The one who has authority over his sheep. The one who has authority over his own life and his own death. And yet humbly lays his life down. And so he did. He was given this authority by the Father, and he conquered death. Because not only did he die, but he took it up again. So death was swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory over death, through our Lord Jesus Christ. How did the sheep respond? Verses 19 through 21, there was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Just as we've seen throughout this gospel, Jesus' profound claims lead to multiple responses from people. Some say he was demon-possessed and that he's crazy, revealing the fact that they're not his sheep. Others don't necessarily declare him Lord, but they do say, well, no, there's something different about this man. And so what is our response to the Good Shepherd? Have you believed and trusted in Him for salvation? His Word says He is the only door through which salvation comes. Anyone who walks through that door will find life and life abundantly. I would encourage you to trust in Him today if you have not yet done so. If you hear him calling, follow him. He will not lead you astray. What I understand is that there have been many who have been in a position of leadership and protection over some of us, and they did not do a good job. I get that. I'm here to tell you that this is the good shepherd. And he will always protect you. He will always provide care for you. 
when he calls, you have to follow him. For those of us who have already trusted in Christ, our response should be worship. As abundant as that life is that we've received, our praise should be overflowing, never ending as well. As we go into this time of worship through song, our hearts should overflow with praise for our good shepherd who sacrificed for us, who loves us, who knows us, who unites us, who laid down his life and took it back up. That is amazing. That is worthy of our praise. He is the humble and authoritative eternal son of God. He is worthy of our affection. And our worship shouldn't end in song, but it should overflow into our homes, into our relationships, into our workplaces, into our schools, every aspect of our lives. We should strive to reflect these same attributes in our daily lives so that the world may see him clearly and feel like, you know what? When I see the shepherd, when I hear the shepherd's voice, that sounds familiar to me. Let us sacrifice. Let us love like Christ so that God would be made much of.